Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you uh should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space, uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. And it sounds, Keith, as I say hello, like maybe we're moving closer to actual football and sports to talk about. Dare I say it, Tommy? Dare I say it? They're back. We will dive deep into this today. The groundswell of late. Just look at what's happened on TV over the past week or so. NASCAR was racing. We had... PGA guys playing golf, Major League Baseball is talking about starting their season. So there's more conversation out there. But related to college athletics, there's been people on the record and then pulling it back. The SEC is about to vote to bring everybody back June 1st. And it seems like that's the direction we're headed in terms of getting student athletes back on campus. Well, a report in the Osceola uh, released today. Uh, insinuated or flat out said that the majority of Florida State's um, football players were back on campus plus or minus the 15th, which was Friday, in anticipation of maybe, just maybe, beginning workouts on June 1st and actually enrolling, although they'll be doing it via distance learning, uh, enrolling in that last summer term on June 24th. So uh, they'll have to quarantine for two weeks and then potentially be eligible to start their uh, seven-on-seven workouts uh, on June 1st, tentatively, is, is guess of, I guess the way you would say that. So the NCAA had placed a moratorium on athletic activities on campuses across the country through May 31st, but the NCAA Council was voting on that today to allow resumption of voluntary workouts beginning June 1st. As you and I are chatting right now, we don't know the result of that vote. But if things do resume June 1st, then it would appear you're on track for an on-time start to the football season. But all that said, Keith, 
what's changed since we talked a week ago in terms of testing or contact tracing or making sure that there's some preventative measures in place? Well, I, I, I don't know that much has changed on that front, uh, front rather, but I think what you're seeing is simply the momentum of states opening up. Uh, Governor DeSantis going into you know, phase 1A and then phase 1B and now going into uh, opening up Broward and um, Miami-Dade. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so I think you're just seeing the, the momentum of that going forward. Uh, I did read an article yesterday in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that the uh, quote-unquote kickoff game between Florida State and West Virginia was scheduled to be held. They had not changed it. They had not suspended it. They had not postponed it. They were still tracking on that game being played. I believe that's uh, September 3rd, or, or at least that weekend. Forgive me, I haven't looked ahead enough. So I think you're just seeing things move slowly. Uh, And again, we're a sports-related show, if you will. But the one um, newsworthy thing also, and you're plugged into the university even better than I, about the testing and the contract contact uh, research. Tracing. You know, FSU may do their own testing. They're talking about setting up a lab run by FSU to test FSU students. So we'll see where that goes uh, relative to getting things ready to begin to begin some form of normal in the fall. So I guess stepping back, June 1st is a voluntary period. And if you have the dominoes in place, so to speak, you can do that in a voluntary, non-official sanctioned setup. And it still allows you the month of June or a few weeks to see where this continues to go. The bigger dates on the calendar right now related to the state university system are May 28th. There's a board of governors meeting where the board of governors is going to announce, and it's a public meeting. It sounds like they'll announce loose parameters of how state universities will reopen in the fall. And then each individual institution has until June 23rd at the next board of governors meeting to officially announce its plan for reopening. So that in my mind, would be a date when we know what FSU's fall is going to look like. And they'd said all along, plus or minus July 1, so that's a meeting of June 23rd. So if you just fast forward, Keith, by June 23rd, Florida will have been open for longer. Other states will have been open. We'll know if cases are spiking. We'll know if it's continuing to seem flat. We'll just have more intel so you don't have to make that firm decision today, per se. And I think what you're seeing – in the blank, football teams, university administrators, college professors, you know, fill in the blank. What you're seeing is people doing the groundwork in anticipation of that because it's much easier to stop something that you've planned than to put something in place that you haven't planned, if I'm, if I'm articulating that correctly. So I think you're just seeing folks as they can, working in the gray areas, trying to be very judicious, but doing those things that need to be done now in anticipation of a favorable decision vote going forward. So maybe we're reading too much into it, but at the same time, it is encouraging. One coach around here used to say, you'd rather say, whoa, than giddy up. Is that what I hear? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I want to be... It, it does 
there's still I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed, but you have to have ducks in a row. We talked about this last week with that marathon example I gave. You can't just show up the day before a marathon and run the race. You you have to put some legwork in first. So that's what everybody's doing. It still leads to the second component, which is a pretty key one. And again, we don't know what will happen, but it does appear more and more each week as we do this show that it's trending towards football season, perhaps starting on time, which I wouldn't have thought would have been the case a couple of weeks ago. Still begs the question, though, about what are we going to do with the crowd and what is that going to look like? You mentioned the FSU-West Virginia game. The other part of that article is that FSU is scheduled to receive, I think, $4.25 million, but that's based on selling $4.5 million worth of tickets. And if we're in a 25% can attend, I guess FSU honors the contract. 25% of $4.25 million is better than 0% of $4.25 million, but it's certainly not what you signed up for. No, and, and, you know, you would think and hope that maybe there'll be some negotiation within that contract. But, again, back to our original premise, <clears throat> we don't have to make a decision on that right now. We do have to make a decision on getting players ready to play the game. So we'll make the first the, – the latter decision now, we'll hold off and make that new decision based on new information later on, to, to point a phrase. Keith, I am so looking forward. I never thought I'd say this, but you and I spend a lot of odd hours together doing the primetime roll Knowles, uh, primetime Knowles. See, we just did a primetime Knowles interview today with uh, WCTV, and I've got that on the brain. Doing the front row Knowles first look show that airs on Sunday morning that you and I sometimes tape while sitting in your truck at 4.12 a.m. Yep. Because that's when the team charter just got back. And usually I'm the one who's grumbling and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm looking forward to actually discussing a game instead of you and I saying, well, I don't know, maybe they'll play. Maybe they will. <laughs> maybe we'll get back on the field. Can, can we at least, are we going to be happy when we have a dropped pass or a fumble to talk about, even though those are negative things? We'll be happy that we were, we were watching a game, but I think pretty quickly we'll turn into, what in the world are we doing here, right? <laughs> it was good to catch up with Paul Kennedy. Ryan Kelly from WCTV got the old primetime Knowles crew back together today on a Zoom call, so we reminisced on some stories. We've shared some of them with our Front Row Knowles listeners. I'll spare you the details now, but appreciate Ryan uh, getting the band back together. Uh, I guess it's better to be a has-been than a never was. Is that the expression, Keith? I say that on far too many things these days, Tommy. <laughs> we are going to talk a couple of things here. So Coach Mark Krikorian from the soccer team will join us next segment. Everybody's been talking about football. The reality is the soccer season is actually the first sport that is scheduled to play a game in any fall. They start in mid-August with games. So he'll join us. Also, he has an international component to his squad, which makes things very interesting in this time of COVID-19 in terms of what it could do to his roster and his recruiting. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola will join us. Keith, you mentioned the Osceola with a story that football players return May 15th, non-voluntary work or voluntary workouts beginning June 1st, potentially. So he'll fill in some blanks more on that. But then Matt Thompson is going to join us. Matt from For the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social, longtime sponsor of this program. Thought I'd invite him on. I just want to spend a couple of minutes, let him, uh, he'll, he'll talk about his uh, endeavors, his venture, so to speak, but more a bigger conversation just about public perception of going to a restaurant now and that sort of thing, because that's a battle that he's been facing and, and every local 
business has been facing. So all that's ahead in the show. Uh, I do want to tip the cap to the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Ron and uh, his group have done uh, been big supporters of our program and of uh, ESPN Tallahassee in general, so we thank them for that. I'm not going to lie here, though, uh, Ron. I'm probably not going to do many do-it-myself projects over Memorial Day weekend. I don't know about you, Keith, but I'm probably going to take a pass from what's a generally light list anyway. Probably going to be nothing on that list for this weekend. Tommy, have you felt, and I guess an open-ended question to our listeners, Kathleen and I have scheduled a week's vacation coming up. But we've been at home. We haven't been at work. I'm almost feeling guilty like I don't deserve a vacation because I haven't been working, quote-unquote. That's a weird feeling. If you're suggesting I'm going to take vacation and go to the office for a week, though, that, that's not my plan. Not, not the thought, but I, I understand why you might think that. Here's the difference, Keith. You have lots of grandbabies, and congratulations, a new addition this week, too. What is, what's the grandbaby number 10? Number 10. I was going to say number 10. And I'm sure that you you guys assist with the schooling for the ones that are of that age. But as you point out, you can give the grandbabies back. And those of us who are parents who have kids of that age, we've been working two jobs lately, one to keep the kids on track with school and the other our real job. So I am ready for a vacation to answer your question. Good. Then I won't feel guilty. Thanks for helping me. Our listeners are ready for the next segment of this show. So we'll get there in quick order. We'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles momentarily. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We'll open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. And say hello to national championship coach of the FSU soccer program and a longtime coach at this point here at FSU. Mark Krikorian is with us. Hey, coach, how are you? I'm doing just fine, Tom. How are you and Keith doing? Are everything okay? Everything is good. We're so good. So I'll start this way, coach, before we get into, you know, looking ahead and how COVID-19 has affected everything, but we're in the middle of May. What's normally taking place for you, your coaches, your team on this time of year, mid-May, any other year? So normally around now, all of our players um, certainly would have finished their final exams and they'd be heading uh, around the world to different club teams to uh, prepare for a summer of play and uh, training and development and strengthening and all of that. Uh, obviously, the, those plans are a little bit different uh, for this summer. Um, for us coaches, this is usually a time of uh, spending an awful lot of energy in recruiting and uh, being on the road and going and watching tournaments, watching different events uh, uh, around the country and sometimes even around the world. So 
Uh, our players um, are, are on to plan B as uh, the coaches are on to plan B, and uh, a lot of uh, people still sitting in, uh, in small group isolation. <laughs> Mark, are you able to access video? We, we associate scouting, if you will, at the NFL level and the college football level with reviewing game takes. Do you have adequate access to that so you're not completely handicapped by not being able to get out? Yeah, we, we have some, but as you know, Keith, no one's playing anywhere now. So it's not like there are games going on over in Sweden that, uh, uh, you know, we can get the video for. They, they're not playing either. They're, they're starting to open up and uh, practice in small groups and, uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, right now all of the youth tournaments that typically go on throughout the country, um, they, they've all been shut down. All of the kids that are typically right now playing a lot of club um, uh, soccer as their uh, high school year uh, winds down, None of that's going on for them. So I think right now it's almost a moratorium for everybody in every regard with both uh, the, the possibility of recruiting kids but also kids being recruited. Uh, you know, they, they can't be out to play and no one can see them. On the football side, there's been a lot of talk. Coaches have had to adjust to these Zoom meetings just like we're doing this interview. So they might be having more face-to-face contact. I mean, it's kind of a new world for them. And I could see that being similar for you, but because you recruit a lot of kids. Now, you've got plenty of, uh, you know, Americans and U.S. kids on your team, but you also at any given point have six to eight international players. I don't know what the number is right now. Um, And I don't know that you have a chance to truly meet many of the international players face-to-face too frequently before they commit. So maybe you're seeing them more, but then there's the whole other uh, issues, all the other issues that, that go with COVID-19 and, and, and traversing the world right now. So I guess the cutting to a question, how much of a direct and long-term effect might this have on the way you recruit, particularly to Florida State? Well, I'm sure that there's going to be an effect. I think there's going to be a significant effect to a lot of things. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how much education goes back to in-person class education and how much of it stays uh, more in an online uh, model and, and, and how all that plays out. But with regard to recruiting, eventually the hope is that we can get back to what used to be normal, right? Um, go out, watch a kid play, uh, start to have uh, these tournaments where kids are coming together in an area where we can travel to one location and see a variety of kids. But I think you're right. I think it may be a while before we uh, have it back in that regard. It may be a while before we uh, have a chance to um, go and watch a big number of players playing an event in an event with a lot of kids from throughout the country. I think the parents and um, uh, the tournament organizers are all going to be a little bit concerned about bringing so many bodies into one place at one time uh, with COVID-19 and still the uncertainty of how this is all going to play out. Mark, do you have any of your international players that are back home that there's concern about getting them back to Tallahassee because of travel restrictions? So right now, none of our players left the United States. So all of our international players are still in the U.S. Um, So the hope is that um, I think that they all realize we've all done enough homework and and heard enough um, from the government that uh, the borders are – a little bit uncertain whether or not uh, kids, players, people, anyone are going to be allowed back in if they leave. Um, I think that there's uncertainty that is surrounding that. And, you know, our advice to to the kids has been, look, we know you want to go home, but 
you know, if you want to be here in the fall, the only way to assure that is to stay. And at this right. point, you know, all of the kids have stayed. Uh, that doesn't mean one of them may not decide they still want to go home. I don't know. Uh, uh, good forward thinking. I would not have thought of that. That's why, that's why you have national championships. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Coach, you know, part of the reason I wanted to reach out and have you on is that for all this football talk, the soccer season at Florida State anyway is actually the first sport that competes in a game every year. It's usually mid-August. Now, your players may technically start camp roughly the same time football starts practicing. But how do you proceed right now? I mean, do you do you see any way that you're going to start whatever that date was, August 18th with a game, something like that? Or are you prepared for a, a totally remade schedule? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, I think like everyone in society, there's a lot more questions than answers right now. Um, but we are proceeding with the idea that um, we are going to be back on campus in August. We are going to be starting our preparation. We are going to be hopefully preparing for games starting in mid-August and going from there. Now, whether there are crowds at the games, whether or not uh, some of the schedule gets revised because um, – Folks want it to be more regionalized and playing the, the national schedule that we have. I'm not exactly sure how all of that's going to play out yet, um, but I do think that we're going to get a whole lot more answers within the next month or so as to what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, with all of the states now starting to open up to a certain extent and um, and have more interaction and uh, more, more things going on, I think the, um, the wheels are turning uh, in a direction that leads us to believe that unless there's some uh, real crazy outbreak uh, that, that comes with a second wave of it, that, you know, hopefully we can get back to, to some degree of, of normalcy for all of the players and for the staff. Mark, not to get too far into the weeds, and, and obviously we don't know the answers, but uh, I'm sure you and your staff have thought about if they go to the regionalized scheduling thought, that potentially handicaps you because you've made a, a, a point of playing highly ranked teams anywhere in the continental U.S. and I guess overseas if you had to. What 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 have you processed on that? What have you and your staff talked about like that? What 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 are your feelings going forward? Well, we think that there are certainly some some good teams within the region that we'd be happy to play. The question is, are they going to have free dates the same time that we have free dates? Um, I think Keith, the the most important part of of this is realizing we're all going to have to be flexible thinkers and what has worked for us in the past, it's probably going to be a different formula for this coming season. And I think all of us hope that maybe a year from now we can go back to what it was, but maybe it will, maybe it won't. We don't know that. Um, But, you know, we've been in discussions uh, with uh, central Florida, who's a very good team. And I think that if one of our games fall through, well, that may be an opponent that we'll end up picking up. Um, I reached out to the coach at the University of Florida with a bit of a non-traditional um, idea that um, I think bo- both of us uh, agree is something we'll look at is if we both continue to lose games because we need to play regional games, well, maybe we'll, next year we'll have a home-and-home game with the University of Florida. Never done it before, but uh, they're a really good program. Uh, certainly there's a lot of interest in the Florida-Florida State Series, and um, 
Um, it would be a, a game that we would look at. We really respect the opponent. We think they're a really good opponent. And uh, it's a, a close game and it's an easy game. You hop on the bus, you go and play, or they hop on their bus, they come and play and turn around and go home. So it's uh, not an expensive game, uh, but it certainly would be a top-level game. So you know, we'll, we'll continue to explore some of those different types of, um, of possibilities as the schedule becomes more clear. Mark, you referenced maybe the games are without fans. Again, we'll know more in the next month or so. Have you had players who have directly expressed that they're concerned about just the close nature of how you compete in soccer and then the close quarters that are associated with being teammates and on the bus together, on a plane together, in the locker room together, all those things? We, we haven't had those discussions yet. I think that, um, you know, all of those discussions are still to come. And, uh, you know, for so many, I'm sure that some of the, the parents have – uh, a, a great deal of concern as well. And we, we certainly want to try and alleviate whatever questions or problems there may be. Um, what we know, I guess, or believe is that the good news is that this demographic is typically one that um, can be a little bit more healthy than, than old timers like me, that uh, maybe maybe closer into the, uh, uh, the, the, the danger uh, population. But that doesn't mean for sure that everyone is safe. I, mean, I think you keep looking at it, and there's so much uncertainty about it. What I'm sure of is that the university, the athletic team, and um, of administrators are, are looking at all of this very carefully to try and figure out what is the best way to allow these kids to come back to campus, uh, to keep everyone safe, to have whatever interaction, um, social distancing uh, to whatever extent we can. But, Tom, you're absolutely right. If you're playing a soccer game and two kids are going in on a tackle or two kids are going up for a head ball, there's no social distancing in that. that, that that's, that's not yeah. part of the equation. It's going in and winning the tackle. So, you know, I know that Robin Gibson and her team of people are working on uh, the medical procedures that will uh, try to enable all of the, the players to compete in a safe manner. Uh, with through testing and uh, in, in whatever other methodology they're, they're working on to come up with. So uh, I know it's in the forefront of all of their minds, and I know that it is the most important element that all of us will be dealing with. Well, Mark, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but there's one thing that remains constant. Okay. Your squad excels in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they should. Sure they are, they are lights out. Teams. They are lights out when it comes to academics. You've got to be very, very proud of them. Yeah, I sure am. You know, it's uh, you know when we recruit kids, we ask three things for them: for them to be um, uh, the, the best student they can be. And I think this semester the grade point was close to a three seven. Um, we ask them to be the best person that they can be, and of course to to perform the best on the field that they can. And uh, we're really proud of the efforts that our, our kids are putting in in all three areas. And uh, I think they represent the university well. They represent our team very well. And uh, we have a lot to be proud of. Mark, final question. What have you become an expert in during this downtime? Are you now a chess? Have you lowered your golf handicap? Do you have a TikTok account? What have you done? <laughs> I will say, Tom, the one thing that I've taken the time to do, which I typically don't, is I've done a lot of walking. So I'm becoming a bit of a, walk, a champion walker, uh, probably 
About an hour a morning, um, sometimes out on the beach, sometimes on the roads, and um, feel feel a whole lot better. It's uh, nice to get the fresh air and have some sun and uh, and, and get out and uh, do that. I've been doing a lot of reading as well, a lot about uh, leadership and leadership development and uh, um, those different things, but um, not quite to the level of you, but I'm trying to become a Zoom expert as well. I've, I've had a Zoom call to hop, that I hopped off of to get on to this one, and when I'm done with you, I have another one coming up, and then I think four or five tomorrow as well. Coach, we appreciate uh, your time and insight. I know you're, you want answers to questions just like everybody else does, but most importantly, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, on the side, doing some more walking. It'll be pacing during the matches, but hopefully we'll see that soon. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. Keith, as always, I appreciate your time and your support. You guys are, are absolutely great ambassadors for us, and we appreciate all the support you give us. Thanks, Mark. All right, see you guys. Mark Krikorian, longtime coach of the Florida State soccer program with a pair of national championships in that back pocket. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We are back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to soccer coach Mark Krikorian for joining us. Appreciate his insight and time now for our Osceola insider to join us as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more. Open it up, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Bob Ferrante. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. You have given us a glimmer of hope. I'm going to just read the article that's on the Osceola website, the headline. not the. I won't read the whole article. FSU football players back on campus comma, workouts could resume June 1st. So you guys reported this earlier today. I don't want to give away the whole article for those who aren't subscribers, but that's a headline that we've been waiting to see while we've been in this limbo period for two months. It's good to see Florida State has really had some advanced planning here. And you know, football players, for the most part, not all of them, came back on campus May 15. And that lines up with potentially the NCAA saying you can start your voluntary workouts on June 1. So Florida State's goal all along here is a two-week quarantine of student-athletes who are returning from, whether it's Florida, Georgia, across the country. It's, it's bringing you back to campus, two-week quarantine, and then being ready on June 1 to have some semblance of a off-season weight conditioning program. Uh, players can lead seven-on-seven workouts. So if the NCAA gives that green light and we're fully expecting that to come on Wednesday today, then we can see, you know, Florida State being back at it and getting ready for the season, which is really, really encouraging. Bob, you talk about numbers. It reminds me of something we've, we've said that many of us are 401Ks are now 201Ks. Uh, and it may be because of uh, social distancing and a large number of people. It may not be seven on seven. It may be three on three and just run two sessions of them or something. Yeah, we, we have no idea what football is going to look like when it, when it returns. I mean, do we see, you know, as you mentioned, is it really, really small groups out on practice fields? 
how do you work out in a weight room? Do you have maybe just position groups at a time? Um, maybe it's fewer than 10 people will be in the weight room at the more athletic center. A lot of questions still, I think, but we're seeing the plans take shape. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful in the coming days that, that Florida State will kind of open up to us and, and kind of give a glimpse as to what their specific plans are. A lot of things to be worked out. You know, we'll, we'll see student athletes together, you know, living together, but then how do they get food? Is it going to be brought to them? How are they going to be tested? Will they, you know, will, will their temperature be tested daily? Um, and then how do you, again, how do you use a weight room? A lot of things. How do you clean up and sanitize and, and disinfect a weight room? So many questions here. But I think we're seeing that Force it has kind of the makings of a good plan to, to bring everyone back. Bob, Keith and I have talked about this in the last few weeks and earlier in today's show. You have to get all your ducks in a row in case everything is good to go for a September 5th game against West Virginia. But it feels like the elephant in the room is – we know any more details about how they're going to test contact tracing is FSU going to be open this fall? Will there be fans in the stands? All these things that could say, well, just because players are ready and they've been working out, we still need to pause and we can't start the season on time or all these other things are still in the air right now. Right. And you're asking all the good questions. And I think administrators are asking themselves those same questions. And, and a lot of them, quite frankly, say, you know, we're, we're just not sure. We have to see how the coming weeks play out. You know, ACC Commissioner John Swafford, when he was on a call with, with us and a, a bunch of the media, he said testing is absolutely critical. And at the same time, he was asked how much testing was going to cost on a school-by-school -school basis. And again, he was frank. He doesn't, doesn't quite know. We're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, for maybe just one sport to test and to keep everyone safe. And then of course, how do you do fans in the stands? If at all, there are so many questions in the weeks ahead. I think, I think they all know as administrators though, that they have, it sounds crazy to say the luxury of time, but with it being mid to late May, you have time to have these discussions and to come up with solutions. I, I think the testing is absolutely critical how do you test? How do you then separate a, a potential, a, a positive? What do you do with that student athlete? How do you treat him or her? Lots of big questions. I think one of the things that uh, President Thrasher was talking about, and we mentioned it earlier in the show, is that you know each institution, FSU in particular, may have their own testing lab. So you, you have a, at least the probability of a more immediate return on those results. Uh, the cost factor, I hope, um, you know, I've read some other things. We're not a, a, a political show or a, a medical show, but I have I've at least anecdotally read that some of the newer tests that are coming out are much easier and much less expensive. We'll hope that's the case. But, uh, you know, and, and, and then the, the contact screening and sourcing, once you do identify, I mean, the, those are answers that we don't need right now, but there's certainly discussions we've got to have right now. Yeah, I think the, having the ability on campus to have Florida State have a lab to, let's say, within eight hours, 24 hours, have a result to put a student athlete's peace at mind um, to – like you said, to have contact tracing, that student athlete can say, I've been around 
my brother, my sister, my mom and dad, maybe a couple friends I was working out with, maybe a couple teammates, they can keep up with who they've had contact with and then keep up with them over the course of, of two weeks as they're quarantined here. I, I think Florida State's making some really good plans. And I think we, we all feel that, that testing, that widespread testing is, is really the best we can do until we have a vaccine, which, which we all think is very late in 2020 or, or 2021, as a lot of the health experts have said. This is really the, the best that we can do to take care of, of the student athletes and, and hopefully get back to athletics in September. Bob, the University of Miami president apparently said today, and this is via the reliable source that is Twitter, but apparently it was on CNN. He expects there to be a University of Miami football season this year with no fans in attendance. So I'm curious, and we don't know the answer to that ultimately, but do you have any idea, have you heard where FSU is headed if it's 25%? I know they're looking at all the know We know Tom's dog doesn't like that idea. Is that yours? That is one of my dogs barking at the thunder and lightning, which is again the luxury of working at home these days is it's relaxed. It's it's shorts and a t-shirt, but it's also dogs interrupting chats and, and meetings with friends. Oh, I'm supposed to be wearing pants. <laughs> That's optional as long as you keep the the video where it is, Keith. No, so Bob, anyway, you know, because I've not seen this publicly yet, but what would a plan look like if it was only 25% of the fans or would you even let students in? I mean, students pay part of their tuition is a fee that includes admission to athletic events. But are you, we going to expect that if you let students in that they're going to socially distance? Do we know anything about what that might look like? Publicly, at least, I haven't seen anything from Florida State. I, I, we've asked some questions, and they are, they are starting to look at the bowl of Doak Campbell and, and how do you separate fans? Do you put potentially two empty rows between fans? Do you let families sit together? But, again, you've, you've got to have six feet around them in every direction. You know, some schools, like you mentioned, you know, Miami's got a proposal. I think Notre Dame's athletic director had mentioned having only students and not having, you know, regular fans, alumni boosters. There are all kinds of proposals out there. Another one I read, there's concern that what if the, the boosters who pay the most money at a university, and I'm not just suggesting Florida State, what if those boosters get the best access to the limited number of tickets available, and then they then choose to go on a secondary market and flip those tickets, it could create a situation where the fan who doesn't get that ticket is, is feeling almost jilted by the alma mater because a, a high-end donor has decided to put it out on, say, StubHub or, or whatnot. So, again, these are really major concerns where athletic departments are going to have to decide who can we allow in do we mandate, say, a driver's license or some form of ID that matches up with your mobile ticket so that we know, okay, Joe Smith is indeed Joe Smith and he's coming to the ball game and, and he didn't just give it to somebody. There are so many different considerations as far as how to get certain numbers of fans in the stands. I think even the NFL has proposed, the Miami Dolphins have proposed a way to get in, say, a small number of fans, twelve to 15,000, where they stagger 
you know, your section can come in at this time, your section can come in at that time, and it's very regimented. So there are proposals out there, specifically what Florida State will do. I think we're just going to have to see in the coming weeks and months ahead. Bob, it occurs to me before somebody tweets this at me that the University of Miami president making the comment that there'll be a football season without fans really could be applicable any season in the case of Miami and their attendance at home. So I'll just go ahead and put that out there. Keith, now you can jump in because I know you were about to anyway. <laughs> well, I just – I think we talked about this, and, and I'd be interested uh, in, in your thoughts, but there's certain decisions you've got to be making now, and there's other decisions, as you've talked about, you have the luxury of time. And I think also the dialogue becomes very important because there's great ideas out there that one would never have thought of. We talked with Coach Kukorian, and, and he didn't flat out say it, but he basically indicated to the international students on his team, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to go home back in March because you may not get back stateside. So therefore, all of his international students stayed there are good ideas out there that probably have been talked about in a small group that just haven't been mentioned until a larger that when we hear them, we'll go, well, you know, that makes really good sense. I agree. I think we're hearing, you know, good guidance, you know, from coaches who are acting like mothers and fathers in a sense. And I think we're also seeing, you know, the ACC, like a lot of conferences have established, you know, COVID-19 advisory committees. They're, you know, doctors, physicians, um, public health experts from around campus, they're trying to, you know, advise on best practices and, and, and inform coaches and administrators of, hey, you know, here's, here's what we're seeing. Here's how we're analyzing the data. This is how we would advise you. And, and it maybe doesn't mean the president of a university might follow that guidance, but I think it's, it's good to hear from doctors and, and those people who can advise you know, we think you should do this. We think you should do that. You know, Florida State has one doctor, uh, Dr. Leslie Beach, who's on that ACC advisory committee. And he's, he's told us that they've met once with plans to meet again to further discuss, you know, what, what kind of plans, what kind of actions, you know, they would suggest to the league schools moving forward. So I'm in agreement with you, Keith. You know, we do have the luxury of time, but I think Commissioner Swafford has said too that, you know, early July, mid-July, we really have to solidify these plans and we have to, you know, that has to be the point where we say, okay, go or no go as far as, you know, a certain date, a certain practice start time, you know, any other specifics. There, There is a true um, deadline and maybe it's July 1, maybe it's July 15, but in his mind, we're working toward those dates with those plans. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider. You can subscribe to the Osceola 695 monthly. Try it out. 30-day free trial right now or 20% off an annual subscription. Good work as always on uh, Florida State players being back on campus. Let me let me this is a broad question, not specific to FSU. I'm sure you probably saw the article that Dan Wilkin authored yesterday in the USA Today. Would premise, if you didn't see it, was that because nobody in this conversation has student athletes' best interest at heart players should unionize and take a stand right now because they've got leverage in the face of COVID-19. Do you see somebody again, not necessarily at FSU, but do you see a group of student athletes getting together and trying to make a stand right now? 
I think it's been attempted, of course, in the past with Northwestern, with some various you know attempts to unionize. It hasn't really taken off on a national scale. I'll be, I'll just throw something crazy out there, and we'll see if it sticks. But you know, everybody wants to see an EA Sports NCAA football 2020 or 2021 video game. Well, what if somebody just says, "Hey, let's come up with a union." just so that every power five, every group of five football player can get a few bucks out of a video game. And the video game's purely created out of demand that we have as a society to play football, soccer, basketball, whatnot on our Xboxes and and PS4s. Why not create a union just solely for that reason so that money can then go to a student athlete? I can see something conceptually like that where it's kind of a win-win in a lot of regards. It's a win-win for fans. I think administrators might see that as a positive. And certainly student-athletes wouldn't mind receiving a check once or twice a year because, you know, they were in a video game. Well, not to be the naysayer, but you know I'm going to be one. Uh, You can't have a union if you're not an employee. (laughs) Well... The point is, with, so we'll have to call it something else. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the it's semantics. Some form of, what of they call collective it. bargaining unit, and I'm with you. You know, how do you treat that? It's a you're opening up a a big can, and who knows that's, what's on the inside. That's the downside. Yep. Right. Bob, we appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, thanks for breaking some news on the show via the Osceola.com earlier today, and. Uh, Again, as I keep saying, hopefully we'll actually talk about on-field action at some point. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Take care, guys. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. We'll take a break. Come back. Still one more segment to go here on Front Row Knowles. Me and Dale were singing Little Runaway I was flying Yeah, running Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Busy show today. Thanks to Coach Mark Krikorian for joining us. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola and Boy, now we've got a social media legend. I don't even know what your title is, but folks know Matt Thompson. You probably know him better as the MADSO Twitter guy. And I don't even know what your formal title is other than being a partner with the For the Table Restaurant Group, and that's probably selling you way short. But you've been a longtime sponsor of this show, and more than that, and we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, You really have – you've been a voice for for Tallahassee in a lot of respects for local businesses in general, and I just wanted to welcome you to the show. How are you doing, first of all, Matt? Good man, Hannah. You know, when I I used to be asked that kind of early on around March, whenever whenever the ACC tournament was canceled. You know, that was kind of like, oh God, what the heck is? Let's buckle up, right? Some stuff's about ready to go down. And um, I used to answer as about as least crappy as I could be. 
and uh, but I didn't say crappy. And <laughs> and I'm, I think I'm evolved. I think I'm on a scale of totally crappy to to a ten. I think I'm about a nine nowadays since since we opened twenty five percent and now at fifty percent and gatherings are starting to come back a little bit. Um, as long as you obviously you do it safely, um, it has uh, it has been a little bit of a, a breath of fresh air. Matt, the thing that's impressed me, and I'll dive right in with this, is. Uh, you know, restaurateurs are competitive because it's a competitive business. It's a tough business. But you were at the forefront of stepping out and saying, we, the restaurateurs in Tallahassee, have got to work together or none of us are going to make it. What what prompted that? Where does that come from? What were your thought process? Yeah, I, I think my my background is is a, I'm a I tell people I'm a marketing guy at heart, and so my background has always been about uh, rising tides. Um, I'm a big believer in, in that, and it doesn't do any good. I, I you know I, I get asked all the time questions like you know who are your competitors or what do you think about that. I don't focus on any of that stuff. I focus on our audience. I focus on the people that love us, and. And with that, I think you can start looking at a little bit broader as there's a lot of brands here in Tallahassee and particularly in the hospitality business that people love. And if we can do something to kind of fit together with each other and help each other during this time, I want to see as many Tallahassee businesses, particularly restaurants, come out on the other side uh, of this to be successful because it is a 12 to 18 month journey. Um, I, I was early on saying that and I still believe it, even though things are getting a little bit better every day. Um, you make spring money to survive Tallahassee summer uh, in this industry. And then the fall comes and then you're right back up and then you're just trying to hang on for about 30 days in December or January. And then on the flip side of that spring is, is, is booing you and building to, to get through the next summer. Well, we didn't have a spring this year. You know, March 12th, as I mentioned before, is when things shut down. Um, and March 20th, you had to go to takeout only. May 3rd is when you were able to finally open um, if you felt comfortable. And so you put all that together. We miss Tallahassee's busiest season. Um, you'll appreciate this. I, I always say people ask us, like, what, how, what's our busiest time? Uh, football's got to be the most busy. I said, I always say football is like having a fight with Mike Tyson. It's going to knock you out seven days. Um, but going to fighting, uh, through April, April's actually our busiest. It's like going with Merriweather. Um, you're just going to get ground down for 15 rounds and you got to take the blows that are coming to you. And, uh, so April is actually probably for, for us and many, many restaurants, the, the busiest time of the year. Talking with Matt Thompson, Madison Social Townships and Trolley Soto, much more than that, but it's only an hour show, so I can't keep going, Matt. Let's let's get to this. You, know, you should you listen to my voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned restaurants at fifty percent, but it's an individual decision for people. Not everybody is comfortable going back out in public. Some want to wear a mask, some don't. So, I guess what would you say, both for for your properties, but also just in general, to to maybe address public concerns or just misconceptions that may be out there about what this looks like now. Know the law. I mean, it's pretty, it, it's not, n- number one, the restaurant industry didn't really have to change all that much to be 100% candid. Um, you know, there's, there's some really high expectations of the health department when it comes to owning and operating a restaurant. Um, that being said, there's spatial divides that you need to have now. 
and 25% inside still has the spatial divides or 50% we are now. Um, but the patio just has the divides. And so places like us have very large patio areas at Madison Social and Township. And it can look, I, I think a lot of people forget how small six foot really is. I mean, if you're listening to this right now, um, hopefully you're not driving, or, but if you get a chance, spread your arms. And if you spread your arms, you're probably longer than six foot. Um, for many of us. And it's not that much space. And as I told somebody on Twitter, and I, I really wasn't trying to be mean, but like, you know, somebody said it, it looked like you had more people than I'm like, well, the sun looks a lot closer to the earth than it really is. It's billions of miles away. So when you when you take into account how far you are away making a judgment, it, it really does. It, I, I get the optics of things, but we and every restaurateur that I'm aware of is making sure that they have the proper spacing that is there. And, um, you know, we're all trying to figure things out. Uh, we went from less than 1% of our business being pickup to delivery to 100%, literally in a night in a night. Then we had to figure that out. And then now you've got to open at 25%. What does that look like? Um, I, I think patience is, is, uh, would be appreciated, you know, from patience all the time, but patience, particularly during this time, um, as our good friend, Mark Ziegler says, be kind always, right? Just be kind always. If you can, if you can find it in your heart to be kind and understand that we're trying to figure things out as we go along by, while keeping you and our staff safe, I think, uh, I think we'll all be a little bit better off. Here's a crazy question. Where in the world, in your background, and you're growing up, and your education, did it get instilled in you to be so creative? Where do you get that inspiration from? Man, that's a great question. My dad is an electrician. I mean, he's like the least creative person I know. Um, my mom is certainly not that really either. They, they, they instilled in me work ethic more, th- more than anything else. Grind, hustle. Um, the creative part probably was I was an only child. There's probably something there if I had to lay down on a couch and, and probably start really thinking about it. Um, early on, I was actually I came to FSU. A lot of people don't know this um, on a on a full gla- a full jazz and classical performance major. Um, I was in the school of music for one year, and then I I was like, you know, uh, I don't really like myself that much to sit in a room six hours a day. And uh, then I went and got a public relations degree um, up the hill up, up there at Diffenball. And so uh, I think I think I, I, I just had something in me that made me a little bit creative. And, and uh, I, I it's not all me. I wish I could take credit. I got some great people that I work with. Um, one that's sitting right next to me now is my, my partner in crime, Eric Pounders, is one of the most creative people I ever met. And uh, it's, it's really nice to be able to bounce ideas off people and, and, and fit those within the confines of goals and, and your audience and all those other things. It's, it's super important. But um, I, 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 that, I, that's, that's the only thing I can think about. Well, you, hey, Matt, you excel at it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Matt, I wish we could do this for longer. We need to wrap things up. And first and foremost, you know, I'm glad that you've been up and sort of being the voice waving the flag for restaurateurs and, and just business owners in general. But you're a Florida State guy at heart. You got orange and blue in your house. But, you know, I guess, I guess love, uh, love. The dirty secret of Madison Social, right there. The dirty secret, yeah. Sorry if I just let that out of the bag there. That's all right. That's all right. As we wrap up, who's going to be the starting quarterback this year for the Knolls? Man, 
That's a great question. I uh, I think this Blackman is, comes out. Missing right, Spring. Is, I think Missing fun. Spring. Missing Missing Spring. I think James Blackman uh, definitely starts, but I don't think he finishes the season. All right, over under on touchdown catches for Tamari and Terry. I'm going to go ten and a half. What do you got? Uh, twelve. I got the over. All right. Will we start the season on time, yes or no? No. No. I don't think we do. When do you think? Uh, I, I, I honestly believe, and I think it would be good for FSU for our budget, um, if we could lop off the, the month of September. I'm excited to go to the blue field. My son and I were going. Um, that being said, I think from a budget standpoint, having to travel to Atlanta, having to travel to Boise, I think we could, we could use an October first start. Not to mention that it's 112 degrees for those September home games. Who needs those anyway, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and lightning delays. Yeah. Matt, I don't have time to go deeper on that list. We, we are out of time. But thanks so much. Uh, we'll, we'll see you down there. Uh, I hate to say down the road, but we'll see you between now and then. But hopefully football season gets kicked off here and, and uh, we come back to life. I know we will at some point. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Matt Thompson. KJ, we'll do this again next week. Thanks, as always, to our listeners, and uh, thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.